What is up, rugby fans? Welcome to another episode of the SAF Pod. After the opening week of the Rugby World Cup and a good weekend for Bach fans, we've got an exciting guest, similar to last week. There's not going to be any beating around the bush. We're not going to give you 15 minutes of Keegan and I talking nonsense. We're just going to get straight into it. He's arguably one of the greatest rugby minds in, in modern rugby. I hope you wouldn't mind me saying that. Uh, he's an author, a Curry Cup winner, a URC winner. Could only be one coach, John Dobson. Dobbo, how are you? How's it, boys? I'm good. Thanks for having me on. No problem at all. Sorry about my voice. Sorry, I was shouting at them today. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you're not meant to do in coaching. <laughs> now, I wanted to pick your brain on the game from the weekend. Yeah. What were your thoughts on the way that the box played? And have they shown you enough to make you think that they, they can do it at this World Cup like we're all hoping? Yeah, I thought I thought um, after that game in, where was it, Auckland? The one at um, Mount Pleasant Smart. Yeah, Mount Smart, Mount Smart. I thought... That second half, we showed that we were going to win the World Cup uh, and the way we slowed the New Zealand ball down. I know there was no gnashing and wailing over here about how poor, you know, we were badly beaten, but I didn't see it like that. I thought the second half was overwhelmingly convincing. Yeah, the way we slowed down ball, the way we counteract. And I think where we saw the template to beat Ireland, the, the fastball teams, so Ireland, Scotland, France, um, I didn't read too much Twickenham. I thought on Saturday, I don't know what you guys thought, but... Either by halftime was this, uh, people are saying it was a game of two halves and slow out the blocks or box or whatever. Gee, but I thought halftime was six three. I thought we were convincing again. You know, they, we just the Scottish got their model wrong and we got our formula right because the Scots decided. No, I think uh, sorry if I'm going with a long answer. Not to carry off nine with uh, Schumann. Schumann. That was a good Scotsman like you, uh, Schumann. So they they decided to play off ten and then we just rushed them off ten. So to me, I didn't see a big difference between the whole two halves. I thought we were actually dominant. They tried to move the contact point wider, but without rush, it was it was suicide. So, yes, I think I've seen. To me, the only team that matches us is the French because of the physicality. Yeah, yeah I think that's such a valid point. I think I actually didn't pick up on the fact that they were playing more of ten than they usually do. But it seemed like Finn Russell is very much a the type of character where if you let him hit his straps, get yeah. his tail up. 100%. That's him flying, but from from the first, I think, three or four minutes, they had him on the back foot, and I think that made all of the difference. There's been a lot said about Marnie's kicking for, for the polls. Now, I admittedly will be one of those fans that will say, listen, if he could slot every kick, I'd be delighted, but that's just not going to be the case. I really love the way that Sia Khaleesi came out this week to defend him and say, look, yes, Marnie's one, one of our goal kickers. He's not our only goal kicker, but he does so much else around the field as you'll know at the Stormers what would you say to those fans that are trying to be down on Marnie when he is actually playing so phenomenally well I mean he got man of the match on on Sunday yeah look I, I agree um, he's playing fantastically he's playing more consistently possibly than he's played with us you know so um, you know when we saw tips I just think he's playing supremely well um, the goal kicking thing is, is, is very curious because with us, he, it's not the normal paradigm. He never misses the big kicks. You know, like we beat Alston in a semi-final. We took a, a draw of the Sharks. There were three or four games, the last-minute kicks we needed. He never, he, he's got this amazingly strong temperament. You know, it's a, I, I tease him and call him a goldfish because I think with Marnie, when he's missed three in a row and he lines up the fourth, he doesn't remember he's missed three. It's fine. He's, he doesn't know that he's missed three in a row. You know, he's just like this goldfish. Um you know, my worry, I was my worry was you know, the obvious thing that we're probably alluding to the, the the World Cup. 
you know, three six nine syndrome and getting those two scores ahead is so critical. And that's how the box, you know, forcing another team to play, you turn them over, you score. We saw it in 2019. You know, and then I think this is completely against the box formula not to be able to go three six nine. So but I do think at the moment, as you suggest, it's outweighed by the sheer different dimension and genius that he brings to our game, you know. So we are going to have to accept that there's a discounted factor. You know, you're going from, what, 85? Pollard's on 85, I don't think. But let's say you're going from 85 to 70. What's that in points in the World Cup game? Five points, yeah. I don't know. Uh, it's going to be a discount, eh? I looked at it during pre-World Cup, and I think Moni's kicking stats were at about 76%, and Pollard's kicking okay. percentage during the World Cup in 2019 was actually 76 or 77. So really, as yeah. much as I think South African fans are immediately like, well, Pollard is the be-all and end-all, and he's a fantastic fly-off. He's a once-in-a-generation fly-off. He makes those big kicks a bit similarly, a bit similar to Marnie, but he does miss them too. Um, yeah, okay. And I do think that he obviously adds another dimension to, the, to that block attack. Now, rather than looking at, at players' careers, looking back at your early career in the Cape... Started by you coaching, I believe it was the Ike's fourth team. Yeah. And then yeah. the the first had a bit of a bad run, which led to you yeah. being promoted, where you went on to beat Marty's, am I right in saying, for the first time since 1961? You then took a year away from rugby, followed by going back to UCT and asking for an opportunity to coach the under-20s, where I believe you were so successful that none other than Russ Erasmus actually pulled you into the Western province kind of set up. What was your most valuable lesson coaching at a varsity and a youth level? Because I think a lot of people don't, a lot of people will look at a, a successful coach and look at what they do at kind of the highest level and forget there's a lot of groundwork that needs to be laid first. Yeah, look, I mean, the biggest, the biggest, uh, which I think is important for any coach, uh, the biggest thing was actually you fired me before I took that gap year. Uh, in my second year. And then you learn a hell of a lot because your ego takes a massive dent and you don't want that. To, so that, that was, but, but I think probably the best learning was because all of us, not all of us, that's wrong. Lots of people want to coach and they think, cheapers, you're so lucky at professional level. You've got everything. You've got all the time and everything. But that, the real learning at club or school level, we had no money at UCT. So you had to be clever with team building events, you know, t- like go on the train you know he goes like in south africa going on the trains adventure you know what i mean it's not like it's not like in europe uh or go we, we jumped off the pier at the end of what's the pier then within the waterfront into the sea and the nsri rescued us it was a great team builder you know we it was a the nsri were pissed off it was a great it was a great team builder uh because they had to come rescue us out the water we got a trip in a speedboat and all that so i think just being creative with time and um because, I mean, there's no doubt that in rugby, you've got to have a tight team that love being with each other. You know, they feel like they belong, want to get off the ground. And you're not going to do that without getting to know each other. And that takes time. And I think lots of people think traditionally money. You know, what do we do? Saracens go off to Miami or whatever. But you just got to be creative with other ways of doing it. I think I learned that in an amateur environment is really to make the best of time to get to get the guys to know each other, get get really tight and safe and that sort of stuff. So that's probably the biggest learning. And it's, yeah, I think people, a lot of coaches look, it's a half empty approach. School guys say, oh, you've got your players all day, but nah, you, you can do enough if you're clever. And that, that, that stress test is actually really good. Yeah, Dobbe, I think uh, just going based off that that aspect of of time, I'm sure a lot of uh, rugby fans out there want to know sort of what what Dobbe gets up to when when you're not coaching the the Stormers and everything like that. I noticed in one of the one of the videos where you were getting interviewed that you pulled up to the training session in a in probably like my 
a dream uh, car one day <laughs> is those Land Rover Defenders. Now, yeah. is this like a little runaround car, or do you, <laughs> do you get out off road and and go off the the beaten path sort of thing? Yeah, uh, like you know, I'd, um, shit, I don't, I'm not really off road. I've got a, I've got, we've got a property up in the Co Bookerfeld. I don't know if you know that above series. Um, okay. Which has got a, a massive dam, and it's basically just like a playground for me with boats and windsurfers and sails and uh but that's a defender please you notice it's a i've got two i've got two i've got a 1973 series three um and they're terrible cars and i've got a 90 that's the nine the one you saw the 1999 um but i don't bore you guys with it but it's been it's got a soft top and stuff but they're noisy they leak water and everything but they're just they, I find the mechanic. I said, this thing is, it's terrible. It's making noise. It's just turn up the music to him. So it's, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> I like, no, I've, I've, I've heard that. <laughs> I, 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 yeah, what I do, yeah, like I like, I'm in the sea or the water. That's a, that's pretty much it. But yeah, rugby, it's pretty all consuming. I must be honest. It's all I think about. Yeah, I was, I was going to say with those defenders, I was like sort of looking and umming and eyeing what car I was going to get. I was like, maybe I'll get like a nice cheap one and you know a little project car and stuff and like the first video i watched they were like they're noisy as anything they're terrible to drive they're just a black hole like you're gonna spend so much cash like building this thing up so i think it's like one day it'll be like a project car or something but they look like just that like old school look at that it's just absolutely brilliant and i drive it i mean your teeth rattle but they once you go once they get under your blood but you're right they just pour money like I came back today from the shops and uh, it says the trailer lights on, but there's no trailer. But the indicators weren't working and the windscreen wipers wouldn't turn off. So that's tomorrow's project. <laughs> Listen, the uh, the indicators on Keegan's car never work. So, uh, and he got a polo. Unused. <laughs> uh, I mentioned earlier that you're obviously a rugby coach, but you're also actually a published author, Dolo. Are there any similarities between the coaching and the writing process? Is there anything that you've been able to take from one process and transfer it across the other? Sure, that's a great, it's a good, I'm not being funny. That's a, it's a really cool question. I'll tell you why, Scott, because I um, only later, I suppose I've always done a little bit of, I know it's trendy now, all the New Zealand talking about it, a little bit of theming. Um, I say, I know I'm aware it's trendy, but I think we've always done it, you know, 20 years ago different things we walked in and bought them with Henry the fourth or whatever but um now i see it much more it's much more useful the other way from the writing to the coaching so the writing you've got this sort of these plots and these themes and that and that's very useful now in coaching that you know you've got a campaign so this year i'll tell you for example the stormers will be always the hunters last year we were the hunted and we weren't as good in some ways so it's always the hunters it probably goes back to our region it goes to um some of our, you know, we're a big line speed team. We've got Steelers like Evan Ruiz and Dion Ferry and Nama Kaba. So we want to hunt the ball. Our kick chase is excellent. That's how we create the transitions and the counter-attack counter stuff. We didn't enjoy being the, the hunted last. So our theme we come up with is always the hunters. Then it's quite, in a sense, it's like writing because my books are fiction. They're creative. They're not uh, works of art or or fact. So then, uh, so then you think about, it's useful, how you can be more creative with the themes. So Darby's name and... You know, today, Foamy said the inside cleaner, the guy cleans on the inside, his body position is too high. So then we started playing around with the sort of the stealthy Bushman hunters. And so it's, I'm, I'm being stupid, but it's, it's there's a creative, that creative, because the players, unfortunately today, you can't go and give a 40 room, 40, uh, a 40 item, 40 minute playlist anymore. 
if you could sell them a theme, like we showed them the Cape hunting dogs tearing apart some animal and how they hunt it, you know, they can understand that or theme that it's how they get learning. So you can almost take that this crazy theme and then you get down to the technical points about the inside defender pushing up harder. And I don't know, just, it, it helps a lot. The players need to be fed creatively. You know, AV is so important. A storyline is so important. Uh, another story is so important. Just great clinical facts. I reckon that generation's gone past us now. So it, it actually is helpful because I'm, I'm like I've got lots of faults, but uh, I'm reasonably creative. So that that does help. That's fascinating because I think it might have actually been Eddie Jones that said he feels he's got between three to six seconds to get any player's attention before their mind starts to wander. And I think oh, the ability <laughs> to the ability to to actually convey things in such a way that it interests the player while actually it correlating really well with what they're doing is, is, as I say, fascinating. Now, you published a book in 2012 that was called The Year of the Gherkin and then later a sequel, which I think might have been 2015, called The Day of the Turnip. Now, I have read the first book. Admittedly, I've not read the second. I read the first book last night because I didn't actually realize you, you were an author. But one thing I was really fascinated and truly admired was your ability used to your ability to use satire to convey kind of the dark side of the white south african culture now since writing those books one of the questions i had was have you seen a real change in the country from white south africans or would you say that people are still more chastened than they are than they are dorsey which way do you think it's leaning nowadays that's gone. It's that's an absolutely brilliant. I'm not being sick of funding. It's a brilliant question because I was just as you're saying, and I'm trying to and thank you for doing so much research and knowing who Dorsey was. Because uh, I always like to just think of myself as a Dorsey, but I knew I would revolt and return to the Jason Bryden too often. But I, it's a good, it's a, I tell you what, because if I was, I've got a third one called Year of the Beatrix, which I wrote about four or five years ago, but I haven't published because it's because the spotlights. You know, you can't use some of that language now. You know that I used. Um, somebody would not realize it's satire and say, listen, this guy is using it. So that's an ice. But it's a great question because if I was to write the book now and my experience with this current team, and I'm not sure it would be the same. I think it would have changed for the better. I, that, that Jason Bryden now is so repugnant. And I was frustrated in 2012 because he was so common. You know, so, um, yeah, that's a, I've never thought of that. That's, that's given me a lot of cheer about South Africa because I don't know. Do you feel the same way? No, I do. do genuinely. Feel, that's that's yeah. that's why I asked it. Because to be honest with you, so at, I'm giving away my age here. Stiegs and I were kind of deputy and head boy, Stiegs head boy, me deputy in 2016 at Tableview High School. So we okay. were actually born post-apartheid. So yeah. it was really interesting for me because I feel like there's a lot of hand-me-down racism in South Africa, a lot of parents yeah. that try yeah. and push racism onto yeah. their children. But I'm seeing a lot more pushback from our generation saying to them, listen, no, that's not right. No, it's because yeah. you're as a white person in South Africa, you're speaking from a, a place of privilege without even realizing it. And I feel like the, it is changing for the better. It's not where it needs to be yet. And I think a lot of people maybe look at me and go, well, you're one of those Slavkins that quote unquote fled the country and haven't been back or whatever it might be. I have been back, um, but my childhood was probably quite different to the typical kind of white Slavkin childhood. I, um, My mom was in prison when I was two years old and I grew up in prison until I was two. Jesus. 
and I um I had moments of being homeless, etc. So for me, it was quite difficult seeing people, specifically white people, in privilege, not acknowledging that. And I feel like the country has grown so much for the better. And a lot of that has to do with somebody like Sia Khaleesi shining the spotlight, etc. And I do feel like the country, it's a really long-winded way of saying, I do feel like the country is moving forward for the well, better. Listen, sorry to, yeah, listen, look, that's amazing. it's a very, very powerful story, but that's that's exactly why I started writing, was exactly, I thought, so, think to myself, you bastards, do you not realize you've got away with murder in this country? You've got away with murder and you judging and judging and i agree with you about the handy down you know um uh, I, I couldn't agree with everything i couldn't agree with more that's the only reason i wrote this book i started actually doing a project on eugene de Kock. uh he was the apartheid serial guy he'd be well before your time but yeah and i went to go visit him in c-max and then he got he got caught with a sim card and he got his parole now but and then i thought you know i'm going to find another way to get the message out you know because i was a furious that there was this foot soldier uh doing 212 years for following orders and you guys are sitting in retirement homes in the Strand or Amarnas. So, so again, I was giving you a long. So I think, look, yours that that's remarkable your story, but that's that's exactly what. And I don't see it. You did this team of mine's young now. I don't see any. I think they would the Khaleesi's massive, and I think they would bristle at any form of hand me down stuff now. That they they're very conscious of it. Like we are, who we are, and um, it's very powerful at the moment. You know, I don't sense anything, and I and, I, and sometimes. Like I would see, this is going to sound like a bit evolved, that after we lost to Exeter, the so-called black guys like Junior and Joseph Dweber were all sitting together and then we'd lost, we got pumped in Exeter. And I thought, white guys, and I said to one of my coaches, guys I coach with, I said, no wonder we lost, look at this. And he said, and then I spoke to Joseph, they said, what are you talking about? And my mates, we will fight for each other. You know, it was almost, my reaction was almost childish. These guys weren't even looking at it through that prism, you know. So yeah, great point, thank you. So, and I mean, you've you've referenced the the loss to Exeter there. A, another loss that stands out from from for myself and and would have stood out for you because I know you've spoken about this before. The home loss to the Lions in twenty twenty one that was kind of the real turning point for yourselves as a team. Could you explain why that was such a big turning point and what physical or what changes you made to the system at that point to to really turn the team around? Cheap as you, 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 you bang on tonight. Uh, um, look, I thought we were excellent in that game. You know, we, we just, I mean, I think our stats were 65 possession, 66, but you can't lose 37-19 at home in Cape Town, not going into a six-week break. It was, you know, to walk around Cape Town at Christmas time and there's Thompson, you know, I kind of use bad language on this. Yeah, oh, you absolutely can. Thompson, you're nigh and you, yes, it's, it, it was, it was terrible. And, um, I thought we, 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 um, you know, it was just from coming from Hurt Locker. You know, we just can't have that. It was just so painful, that defeat that we, and then what happened was we actually realized we stumbled on this game model, which I think a lot of teams are doing now more by chance that we were uncomfortable with massive amounts of possession. You know, we turned it over. We looked at that. We pulled that game apart. We were better in the chaos, you know, great set piece, but let's make, let's put them into the world that we were in. And, you know, we, we're not, and we're never going to be, I don't think so many South African teams are multi-phase teams. And we were doing that against the Lions. And, you know, every now and again, we turn it over and they pass the ball to Raps from Kwan and he goes, score. And um, so we took that to Loftus, which was our first game, six weeks later. 
It completely changed our game model. We were going to play, and people said we would play this great rugby, two or three phases in what we call Middle Earth, because the whole thing, um, you know, the, if you can see the penalty through overplaying in Middle Earth, like a holding on or a side in, the ball's in your 22, they're going to score. So then we stumbled upon this thing of we're, 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 let's rather get them to kick to us. And, and so, that, and, and um, it's not rocket science, but a cheap as a change. And we just hit this game model. And suddenly we just clicked and knew what every position did, except for one position, except for seven, because you get a, a BJ Dixon is so different from a, a even a mind, but the rest is all the same. So, you know, it was just coming from a world of pain that that was our, it really was an awful, awful moment, you know, and, yeah, we just got we got into administration. We're sitting second lot, second bottom on the URC log, and we just literally worked. And I've got a you know a lot of credit goes to the head coach. It's a bit of a football culture we got here, but I'm not being a prick. But the, the Darby's name and Norman Laker, Rita Slingwine, they're remarkable coaches, and I get all the credits. And I mean, it hasn't been so downside. Look, I got the heat then, Dobson, you know, night. But I get all the credit. But we really, it's it's incredibly high level of trust, and we just worked that old Christmas. Sorry, it's a long answer, but that was our. It was hundred percent. That game where you spot on was the turning point for Stormers rugby. You, yeah, you think- mentioned Rito there and and Darby Sneeman and Norman Laker. It's funny that you say that because when we um, had SP Maria on, I think he called the three of you the, the three musketeers. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's a lot to be said about kind of the, the, the environment that you have built both yourself and, and the assistant coaches. One of the questions I had is obviously the, the 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 coaching style and what you guys have been doing is very collaborative and understanding the input of those other coaches as well as the players is important. How do you keep the balance of a player and coach led environment so it doesn't tip too much to to one side? I, I'm not sure it can it can never tip. Actually, I'm just answering my own question. I think I don't ever ever can tip too much in favour of the players. You know. But that's the as I said that I realize I'm making a mistake because it depends what the players are saying or who the players are, you know what I mean? So a guy, uh, like I don't want to name him, but uh yeah, Springbok we had recently yeah, just didn't stop talking and it killed the environment. So I it was uh it was um uh, uh but at the moment we went on a lot, we went on a two-day camp but two weeks ago up in you know, Highton and Manus and everything. I probably said five said five words the whole camp, you know. What I mean? I didn't have to meet these guys. Just moved themselves. They they worked together. They played bowls together. They sang together. They moved. It's, it's stupid stuff. But um, you know, you've got to be coaching these days as much as you can from the back of the room. And likewise with captaincy. You know, we got a generational leader coming up in Salman Marat, and he understands leading from behind. You know, yeah, it was Kitsi was old fashioned leading from the front sort of leader. Look, if you are, so the, the more that they can drive and decide for themselves, I've got no question, the better. The less I speak, the better. But it's up to me to create that environment. And I guess, as I say, as I sort of started answering my question, as you were saying, because I, I was going to go, you can't be too player-led, but you've got to make sure that's constructive. And we've had one or two issues with uh, white noise. I mean, I suppose the extreme is Dan Bigger's behavior on the weekend, you know. So, um, yeah, it's my job to make sure it's, it's solid content. But... I'll tell you something which is really, um, uh, um, I don't want to bore you. T- we are working in such small groups now. So we've got 57 contracted players. There's no way uh, Keegan can stand up there and talk about attack and have a meaningful engagement with 57 guys. You know, you, Scotty, you're not going to be able to say, I don't understand where I'm sitting on that on that part. Or I'm not going to say, how about trying this? in Because somebody's going to laugh. So we're working, with everything's probably groups of eight. You know, all the attack meetings, unless it's a sort of real unit or a whole squad, perhaps this is the plans. 
everything's d- done federally because I think then and those groups have got names, you know, like uh, the the something gorillas or whatever they are. That's where the guys get their identity. They feel safe to talk up. So I'm all, almost just pulling the strings of those groups together. It's really working. We've never been this federal before, but it's really working well. Yeah, so, I think, the last, uh, I've got yeah, no yeah. doubt. Sorry, Kings. The last I was speaking a lot. The the more the, the the safer the player feels, and the more he feels like he belongs. It's, you know, I can threaten Keegan to tear up your contract tomorrow unless you play, unless you beat the Bulls, and yeah, I'll probably get a response. But three weeks later, you lost. You know, so that's that's the theory. Yeah, I think yeah. Look here, this this podcast. I think Scott and I talk enough shit here to drive anyone insane. So when our guests <laughs> just go on, like, don't apologize for however long the answers are. But I think exactly that the the culture and the support that the the Stormers have garnered over the last two years, obviously performing so well, and um, it, it's just been unreal. You know, going and watching the knockout games, and uh, it was actually quite funny. I was growing out my hair really nicely, and I made a stupid bet. Oh, there's the power. I made a stupid bet with Scott that I'd shave a mullet if it was a home final. Obviously, you know it was such a long stretch, and you guys bloody win it, and so then it, go, it goes well. And I had to cut my hair, but um, yeah, what's the, it like the, now? The, oh, it's not too bad. It's it's somewhat growing back, you know, but it's, it's such a weird leg. But uh, obviously, the the culture was unreal. I mean, record numbers in terms of ticket sales, and 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 the 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 Stormers faithful has just been unreal. But I kind of wanted to ask some contrasting, like contrasting questions. So there's a bit of a two part here. Was obviously, as anyone would ask, the the feeling of winning the URC, being a team that is maybe like nowhere near the budget of the other teams, and that coming and just blowing it away. And then obviously, um, you learn more from from your mistakes than than wins or your losses from wins um how how did you um so yeah first part is how did it feel to obviously win the urc and then how do you sort of bounce back after losing last year's final how was that sort of mindset and and everything moving forward dealing with that yeah you're right we, we yeah we, we didn't learn much from the first well that lions game was where we learned everything and then we had utter conviction as to our game model and how we wanted to play and look we got a bit lucky with I think it was who was the upset last year? Uh, Bulls Leinster, wasn't it? Uh, that got us the home final. So um, now that URC, it was so cool because, and not in a shallow way, just because you see how it just changed. We won the respect back. We got the people back. We got new people. Stormers flags are being flown. That it's our whole mission that we've got on every tops and tails, every team meeting. You probably heard it's make Cape Town smile. And we're always showing images of these fans. Or you know, I, I don't know. Yeah, you know, there's so many stories. And I, I've told the story. I think I, I think I said on Cape Talker. Yeah, you know, I was going to go and dro- drop my wife at the. I said it's a nice feeling that dropping your wife at the airport. But you guys are too young to to appreciate how nice a feeling it is. And then um, I go and a guy comes running up to me. And uh, it's the week of the quarterfinal this year. And he says, uh, "Where are you going?" And I said, "It's Stellenbosch. We were training in Stellenbosch. It was raining that day." And then he, he said, okay, he ran, he ran up to another car, he ran up to another car. He's obviously asking people for lifts. And then I, I was watching this. He didn't know who I was or anything. It's, so then I called him over again and said, well, what, what are you doing? He said, well, I want to go watch the Stormers quarterfinals. So I want to save money. He's probably a, a, a manual labor because he's wearing overalls. So I'm running to the airport every morning and I'm going to find somebody dropping some at the airport to get a lift to Cape Town to save my taxi fare so I can go to the Stormers game. So that showed to me that, you know, that's thing I make, that's, so that was the 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 that's where that that you know, Afrikaans and deep lecker. That was the feeling about that that first one. We put our pride back. The second one, um, 
was it probably even it was close to as satisfying. You know, to sit out of a stadium like that in faster than they do test matches under three hours, look for the, the two or three weeks after the final was held. Um and like it is. But when once we got a bit of perspective and breathing space, I think we thought oh, we did something special again, you know. We weren't one hit wonders, we're a proper team, you know, we've properly reconnected with the people. And it was also without trying to make excuses, that final, we were never we, we got it wrong. You know, we it was played on a Northern Hemisphere field. And, you know, the three things were line speed, uh, our scrum, we've got the best front row in club rugby uh, in the world, and um, our transitions. All of those three got, I should, I should have made another player. We should just box kick like they did. But it didn't, I think we, in my deep feeling weeks later is a reassurance that we weren't won it, that we're proper now, you know. So, uh, yeah, so it wasn't devastating, but a lot of learnings, um, and there are four things that we have to fix this season. And if we fix them, they're not hard to fix. We'll be back in the final again next year. So it was a sort of a really cool affirmation year and a really cool development of the project uh, in terms of people coming and making Cape Town smile. The storm of spirit that was here in those last few weeks was amazing. So, yeah, it was cut to lose it. But if you say two home finals, one-time champion at the start, yeah, European quarterfinal with our budget, you could take it every day. So... It's affirmation, but now we're keen to get back. Now we want to win it again. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, the stress levels I had trying to get tickets for that bloody final was <laughs> unreal. Like the second it went, I think like 10 o'clock, I jumped on like, what was I? Like 77th in the queue. So I was pretty close. And like two minutes later, I had mates that were like 10, 15,000 in the line. <laughs> Stuff like that. But I managed to get it. But exactly that. I mean, my, my girlfriend's very careful with um, who she takes me and we hang out with when the rugby's on. Because quite honestly, when it comes to the Stormers and the Springboks, it's the only time I'm screaming or something or going bonkers at the rugby and everything like that. But exactly that. Obviously, it was like so disappointing in the moment. But I always tell people like, just give me five, 10 minutes. Don't piss me off when my team <laughs> loses. And then I come back to grips yeah. and that. And straight afterwards, 10 minutes, like you just realize that it's like we won it last year, had a home final this year, was awesome. And just just that fact, you know, that it's like you guys right. achieved amazing things last season. And and it's exactly like you say, you're making Cape Town smile. And the support is unreal when you compare it to how it was, you know, through some stages at Newlands and everything. And uh, like you say, to sell out the stadium. I, think, did you, I mean, my hours. sense was we were, we were de- obviously I was personally and the team were devastated. My feeling was, I'm asking you a question now that the fans didn't leave there angry or did they uh, that day? It was a cuck ending, but they didn't leave there angry or anything, did they? I mean, look, here, I was pretty pissed off for five minutes, <laughs> <laughs> but but I was also a good few beers deep. Okay, but um, it was more it was more heartbroken than anything. You know, I just want you guys to win all the time. You know, yeah. but again, like as soon as I left the stadium, like I say, it was that feeling of just like you know what, like. Who cares, man? It's it's rugby at the end of the day. Anything can happen in a final. Mm-hmm. At, at the end of the day, it was only a couple of points that separated these two great teams, you know, and so we, we're always going to be, I mean, they always joke, our, our followers and that, you know, there's, there's not too many of them, but the few that we have always say we need to change it from uh, the Saffapod to the Stormapod because we, we just start <laughs> bloody biased when it comes to weak predictions <laughs> and everything. <laughs> yeah, look, we had a... We we were we were over it, and then we had a call with Tapa Henning, you know, who's in charge of the refs, uh, last about two weeks ago, and he said, uh, you know, in the last mall, uh, shit, what's happened? You hear me? The last mall was um, there were three penalties to you. I mean, Jesus, Tapa, how can you say that? He said, no, there are three penalties in the last mall. 
that put up a bit of pain again, you know, because uh, if we got one of those penalties, if we got into the five meter, we were over. Eh? But yeah, uh, we also shot ourselves in the foot with that stupid video. You know, it wasn't our fault. But have one of our own social media guys posting that rubbish. Yes, it, it was a major distraction and it made us look silly because that's not who we are, you know. So that was really, that was disappointing. But yeah, we, there's a lack of energy now. I promise you, Kik, there's a, it's the best I've felt about the squad in the whole time is right now, like today. That is yeah. That makes me that makes me very excited. Um, I had a a question for you, Dobbo. On obviously the 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 developments have been clear clear to see on field, off field in the last kind of week or so. There's been quite a few developments. For those that don't know a lot about the Red Deezer equity deal, what does it mean for not just the Stormers but Western Province rugby? but also the grassroots clubs, because to my mind, it looks like it's going to be helping Western Province rugby as a whole take a step in the right direction. That's again, another good question because that's what I was screaming about in the build up to last Wednesday night's vote. I mean, the people didn't get it, you know? So, you know, I get, I get the clubs not, I don't agree with it, but I get the clubs not wanting to give up power. Uh, And, um, but it was going to kill. I actually think it would have done more damage to grassroots rugby than to the Stormers rugby if that deal hadn't gone through. And that's the message I spent all that week trying to get out, you know, going around at clubs and phoning every contact and WhatsApps. And because um, what would have happened if they'd voted no last Wednesday night? SA rugby would have put West Brom's professional rugby immediately into liquidation next on Thursday morning. And, uh, I'd already been up to SA Rugby without player contracts. There was a they're not going to. There was a plan B. You know, we'd be basically, I think, reading between the lines. I said two. We would be, we would become an SA Rugby franchise for a couple of years because the storm, the URC are they want the Stormers in. They need the Stormers in. I think it's almost it's a contractual commitment. You know, and for the Stormers not to be playing out of Cape Town, saying this, in, it would be a breach and it would be obviously devastating for the URC. So, in a curious way, we were we were going to be okay. When I say we, the professional team. But but where's someone's going into li- professional rugby going into liquidation? The company, the, the union's 100% shareholder. There would be a debt to Saru for this bridging, this admin period that we've been near where Saru have loaned us money of 80 million. There's about 50 million of other debts that PPR have got, like that's speaking too much, but tax or uh, the city of Cape Town. And, and then there would also be a, um, they would, so that's that money. And then the, the guys who own the money on Newlands that Saru have been renegotiating with, who were actually in flight, who were given Newlands, uh, they sold it. They got their hold the title deeds for Newlands. They would have come climbing back for their money, you know, or keep the title deeds. Either way, the union is stone, I mean, more than bankrupt. It's destroyed. And I just don't see how they would get funding to either pay any staff salaries, to pay referees petrol, to run schools rugby. Uh, of course, it would always be rugby in the Western Cape, but it would be absolutely devastating for uh, grassroots rugby. It would have been cut for professional rugby because we would look like uh, the sort of orphan team. But we all know that we're on a high road now is no doubt because these guys are neither none of the two big partners are in it for uh, for profit gain. They're not trying to sell it or flip it. They're largely philanthropic for philanthropy. Philanthropy to be sustainable largely has to be sorry to be sustainable it has to be sustainable. So they're not going to we're not going down the Galactica route, but. Just in terms of our infrastructure, and we can feed the guys properly, and we can improve our S and C ratios, and we can treat our fields and all that. We're just going, but these guys—they genuinely do not want to make a return. They just want Western Cape rugby to survive, and you couldn't hope for better investors than that, you know. Yeah, I think 
it was uh, I spent a lot of time reading up about it and for me having played schoolboy rugby and club rugby in South Africa before I left I just the hiss and the atmosphere at a club rugby game on a Saturday morning there there's nothing to me that even rivals that and for that to go downhill would have been just as bad as losing some of our professional teams. So I'm Absolutely. really glad that that Red Diesel has, has come in and, and been as philanthropic as they have been. Now, I'm sure there's no coincidence that after that Wednesday, we started announcing a few new signings. Um, the likes of a, <laughs> a, a Ben Loder, who was seriously impressive for, for London Irish. And, and London Irish is a... A prime example of what could happen when when teams go under. Unfortunately, you've got Lisa Kaborka coming in from the Bulls. Cornell Skosan. is is that the signings done for the season, or can we maybe expect a, a couple of others? We don't need any names, but just a, a yeah, yes. Yeah, no. good. You guys, no, you, it 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 was the media guy. I said you wait to wait to wait and said no, because these guys have been training with us for a while, and then um and then uh, then I said okay, Mike, you can start releasing, but. Don't do more than one in a day. And then and then said, we did three in a row, like you say. And they said, no, listen, Mike, chill a bit because we're going to look like we're putting a finger up to uh, to the whole rugby world. Um, uh, no, the only other guy in is, let me get this right, Stisa Tole, you know, from the Lions. Yes, um, yeah, great prop. Uh, the reason we the reason we brought two loose sets in was because, obviously, Kitsi's irreplaceable, but um, I think Brock with uh, France playing, you know, a lot of rugby the World Cup now, We've got a really talented young light tight dick with Sazi Sandy. Uh, he's got a quite a serious knee injury. So Brocky, who's also 38 or 39, he's going to move to tight head. So just because his body's, you know, we've got a hole there, he's played there, and his body, you know, the movement there's a little bit easier than Lucid. So we actually needed two Lucid, and uh, you know, because Kitsi and Brock are essentially gone. So Lizo and Steve, both guys weren't even playing Curry Cup at the unions last year, at the back end of last year. I'm looking forward to making them these special guys. Steve's a brilliant scrummager, one of the nicest human beings around. Lisa also amazing backstory. You know, he's a pastor. He raises money for rural development in the Eastern Cape. He's I don't know when the last who the non-Springboks are. The Springboks are out of non-model C schools. I, mean, I presume a PMP. Uh but Lisa certainly was Mount Frere or something like that. You know, so he's, he's definitely not he's a, you know, he's so called, I don't know what you call the schools, but rural school. Um, but also a great ball carrier, good guy. So they're not kids, Steve, but they, they, they're great. Um, there's no other, a couple of youngsters we brought in, but no other big signings. I think next year will be the year that I think we really move. Um, I'm also very anxious that, you know, this equity deal, we don't bring in lots of players because these guys done a good job for us. Warwick Holland is just, he's just a game changer. He's a, he's a new kid now. He's a much more mature. He's going to change us. So he's going to improve the team by one player by 15%. I, I promise you, I cannot tell you how good he is at the moment. So um, that was our big one was Warwick. If we were one player in the world, I wanted is Warwick, especially a more mature Warwick uh, and a physically better Warwick because you, then you can start playing with Damien. You can drop Marnie or you can rest Marnie or Marnie can be injured because Damien can move up there. Damien can go into centre because we overloaded Ruan and Dan. Um Lots, it just opens a whole lot more permutations for us. So, um, yeah, that's probably the signings. Um, yeah, that is the signings. Next year, I think we are two or three players off being able to compete and you'll work this out yourself properly in Europe. And what I mean by that is we went last year, got the hiding at Exeter, came back and we lost our 21 or 20 game home record to Munster. We had to have 
10 guys in Cape Town waiting for Munster who are good enough to beat Munster. Doesn't mean we didn't take our first team to Exeter because it's a European quarterfinal. You've got to res- respect that. But um, we came back, we played the same team. Qatar, you know, De Haag, Joe, Joburg, guys were taking a shit, taking a smack in Exeter. So if you were to bring, and you can work out names, you know, another big lock forward in, another world-class center in, you you could work out Springboks, ex-Springboks who might be on our list. Three or four like that, and then we're going to be, uh, then we can compete in both. One thing that I did want to ask is, you've been quite clear in, in saying that you want desperate players, and I don't mean desperate players and that they're desperate for a job somewhere, but players who, somebody like a Hachiva Diamani, somebody um, like Amani Lubok, who maybe has been put through the ringer a little bit and are, are desperate to show the best of themselves on the biggest stage. Is that one of the reasons that you've made the signings that you have and in, in talking about somebody like Aliso there who wasn't even playing Curry Cup? Is it really to, to get somebody in who's got a real fire in their belly and really wants to succeed? Yeah, I mean, I mustn't... Yeah, you. The, the short answer is yes. I, I must be careful not to be, you know, a bit hubris, bit of hubris or arrogance to think that we can fix anybody, because um, we are taking a little bit of pride in that at the moment. That's the truth. Uh, but yeah, that's the plan with Aliso and Steve. Lisa was a Springbok, um, uh, and uh, Steve was in the Springbok alignment camp, so they're not playing Curry Cup. So I almost want to, you know, I want to, I want to make, I want to make them work. Any guy we bring in like that, I invest massively in because. Yeah, you're taking a chance. It's not the Western Province or Stormers' way to buy in just because of the amazing talent. I mean, I can't think that you guys are from this region of a region and world that produces rugby talent like the Western Cape. Um, so it's very unusual for guys to come in. So they come. So generally, I prefer guys with a bit of a backstory. So Chiva, Joe Slover, and you, know, you guys, you know, um, uh, uh, Evan Rose is from Paul, Marnie and Marnie and Warwick okay, it's not quite Western Province, but Western Cape. I like the guys who can relate to the region, their culture. Um, Steve was with us as a junior. He's is not from us. He's from the Eastern Cape, but he gets our culture. So, like guys, they must understand the project, and you know, and desperation, and say, in a nice way. You know. So, I, like my dream, I've got a couple of projects here. I want to see one of yes, Lisa wear a Springbok jersey again. You laugh at this. I want to see Scurran Tabeni wear a Springbok jersey again. You know, he's pro. You had Skulk puts on last week his profile picture. Skulk kind of hugging, hugging him when he subs uh, in before that game in Argentina, in uh, before the 2019 World Cup. And Skara got nine minutes. Now all he doesn't want to do is be a one cap Springbok, which is a, yeah, it's a swear word among Springboks. So yeah, we take a lot in that story. You know, understanding what's driving the guy. Um, you know, like I got two two examples I quoted recently. You know, I thought of recently was Marnie's playing for money, uh, and I mean that in the nicest possible way, supporting. A massive family in a uh, massive, I don't mean that's cliche. He's got a massive family demand and he needs to make a success of his career to support his family. So he's playing for money. It's a, you got a guy called Kiki Marabi, watch this guy from Kwakwa, Kwakwa in the, in the sort of rural or Bantustan of the, you know, the Lesotho border in the free state. Now he's comes from nothing. He's got nothing, but he's playing rugby for the, probably the reason some of us played. He loves the sport. He's a warrior. He wants to break people. Watch him. He's going to be outstanding. He's unreal. His carrying is second to none. No, he's, his ability it. on the ball and the, the, the holes he creates with his carries is just phenomenal. Also, yeah, it's phenomenal. So his story is completely different. You would think he would play for money. He's not. So just understanding what the guys are playing for is so important. You know, uh, 
you know, Achieve is also supporting a massive, uh, again, it's a massive, I don't mean the cliche of 16 siblings, but he's, he's got big family responsibilities as well. So, yeah, that, 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 that side of it, why they're doing it and is important. And I do like to cock a finger to the places they haven't worked out. You know, that's, <laughs> that's, that was hubris. That is, that is completely fair enough. Now, we, uh, final question for me before we, we get on to a bit of a quick fire round was, You've been really honest, and I think it was last year that you said that you've got a five-year plan and you want to be with the Stormers for the next five years, and and then you'll maybe look at, at going elsewhere, which will be a sad day for, for, for every province supporter. Now, when that journey does come to an end, have you considered or is there any aspiration to step into the box set, set, set up at all? Is it something that you've considered? Uh, look, I've... I sort of came across my sort of radar what, earlier this year, but, you know, now it's just an impossibility, even if I was to be offered. I don't think I'm, honestly, I don't think I'd be good enough without um, those guys I mentioned earlier because we, we just got such an advanced level of trust. You know, re- none of them want my job. I don't micromanage that. It's that, you know, to me, you establish new relations and you start looking over your shoulder like this and cheap uh, as I don't know what the backs coach is doing or um and trust Rita. And so, and, uh, you know, they, yeah, I don't know if you guys, we, as a Graham, Robbie Williams was on Graham Norton house a few years ago and he was at his prison. You know, it is, it's his, uh, he was at his daughter, I can't remember her name, Destiny or Jewelry or something. He, he was there when she got bored, when she was born, got bored, she was born. And uh, Graham Norton asked him, and he was a Caesarian, not that we need the detail. And Graham Norton asked Robbie Williams what it was like being there when your daughter got born. And he said, it was it was like watching my favorite pub burn down, and uh, that's been uh, the experience of yeah being a province. I'm sure you guys have. Uh, I'm also a province fan. I mean, I I love Western Province. It's been watching our favorite pub burn down for a good few years now, so it's really important for me. This is my life's work. That's the truth. You know, if I do anything afterwards, it's not going to mean. You know, it's it's not going to mean as much. You know, I can't go and coach in Japan. I do. I care if Panasonic beats. What's this? An issue. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. So, you know, I, I, I would rather see out my coaching career at the Stormers, and they can move me sideways or diagonally down to the under twenty ones. Look, if they, if the cycles work out, the Stormers are in a fantastic place, and we're winning, and I'm not too fat, and I can bring my assistant coaches, then I would. Like, of course, you would think of that. But my whole. I'm not being polite. The whole project is this one now for me, and it's literally my life's work. What I want. To yeah. see this, put the pins down or the whistle down and think, yes, if we took something that was stuffed and we can be really proud of it. We're up there with a Linston to lose with a top table of world rugby. Um, you know, that, that's where, the, 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 that's all I'm thinking about. Sorry. As long no, as that, is, that is fantastic. Truly a, a province man through and through. We like to end on a, a quick fire round. So literally the first thing that comes to, to your head, Dobbo, please just, just give us an answer. But who is the best athlete, not the best rugby player, but the best athlete you've ever Coached or come across? So I'll have to think quickly. So I'm only giving this answer because it's quick. I'm not. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. This is because it's going to be wrong. Damien Willem, sir. Fair enough. What was the win against the Bulls in the URC final? The most memorable moment for you as a coach? Yes. Yeah, and I was, then, trying, I was trying not to. <laughs> um, is there a player that springs to mind when you think of someone who celebrates the really big wins or really enjoys a post-game jaw? 
Uh, yeah, it's a, either three France Kitsi or Scarra. Uh, <laughs> yeah, France. Um, he doesn't look. I know it's a quick fire question. But he doesn't go too big, but just that smile and those beers and it's yeah, <laughs> just this exudes. He calls it disbefuck. You know that feeling, disbefuck, and that, that that that's what I get with France. And then finally, who is your biggest inspiration inside or outside of rugby? Quick one, Nick Mallet. Uh, again, wrong answer. But that's <laughs> Listen, it's it's uh, no right or wrong with this, but um, Dobbo, you've been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. We really, really appreciate you taking time to sit down with us. We we can't wait to see what the Stormers do this year. And um, once again, thanks for your time and, and best of luck. Thanks very much. Thanks for brilliant. I really, really enjoyed this. Thank you very much. Uh, Thank you, Dobbo. Thanks, Thanks, thanks God. Steegs, John Dobson, what a man. I would. I reckon I would run through a brick wall for him. Genuinely, as a coach, can you imagine the the inspiring speeches that he must give? No, honestly, like even the the Stormers players that we have interviewed and that you know, and 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 they always speak so highly of Dobbo's. And you know, actually, just to get a chance to meet with him and have these conversations, like you you really do see it. And it's like I can't imagine you know playing playing for him like week in week out sort of thing you know having that sort of relationship built with him you know just the 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 fact that you know after an hour call i can sit here and be like i see it you know what i mean like i don't need to play rugby for the stormers to see what the guys are talking about you know you can see it immediately and just the way he wears like his heart on his sleeve and and just like lives and breathes the uh, stormers and that it's like there's there's nothing better that you want as a as a stormer pod i mean i mean sapper pod uh, <laughs> supporters <laughs> um there's, there's honestly nothing more you want than, than a coach who is just so passionate about your team he did a really good debrief on the scotland south africa game and actually i don't want to tarnish what he said because he had far more insight than we did box obviously put Scotland to the sword a little bit. Great, great game. Looking to this weekend, bit of an interesting selection, but the big news to come out of the bot camp yesterday, but it's obviously been confirmed today, is the injury to Malcolm Marks. I am so unhappy. It's not even funny. I'm mortified, mate. I'm mortified. Like, genuinely, probably the, the, the three players that we very much cannot lose for one of our hookers... Yebenetzebeth, Sia Khaleesi. Because if you look at our props, our propping stocks are good. We've got great reserves. Locks-wise, we're absolutely stacked. Back row, stacked, but we need Sia because he just unifies the team so well. Scrum half, we've got four of them playing on Saturday. We'll be fine. 10, we can call Pollard in. 12 and 13, we've got everyone there. Lukanya Um is going to be back and fighting foot quite soon too. Back three, arguably we've got a back three that you can interchange and one is equally as good as the other. But the loss of Malcolm Marks really concerns me because they are, they've not announced a replacement for him. They've said that they're going to wait to announce a replacement. I suspect the reason for that is they need to find out whether or not they can actually swap a front rower for a fly half. Cause I don't know if world rugby will have guidelines against that being a thing. Yeah, I, I don't know. I think we, we definitely spoke about it off the off the podcast very briefly. And I think for me personally, oh man, it's just such a toss up. And I said, I, I don't know what they're going to do. I don't know what I would do. I'm glad I'm not the coach, to be honest. But it's, it's I don't know. I don't know. I think I think 
Marnie does such a good job. It'll be nice to see Damian Willemser sort of get a nice run at 10 this weekend. But, you know, what is what is more needed right now for for in, in replacement for, for Malcolm Marks? You know, do we rely on Dion Ferry being the backup coming off the bench in not not in a, a game against Romania, in the game against Ireland? He will yeah. be the, the backup hooker, you know? Or, or um, you know, Marco van Staden is back up to him sort of thing, you know. Do we go with the, a specialist hooker like Joseph Dweber, who, who had a great season with the Stormers, great season. Yes, he's been a bit offish at times for the Springboks, just mainly, mainly with his thrones, to be fair. But he brings a fire. He's got size on him. He's He can fit that role, I suppose, of a bomb squad member just coming in and being absolutely physical and dominant. And at the same time, Marnie's doing well. Like, do, do we, yes, in the kicking, but do we need Andre Pollard to be in the side right now over, over having a, a proper backup hooker? I don't know because Andre Pollard not won us the World Cup, but he was a huge part of winning us that last World Cup. Bro, I yeah, I reckon they're going. Here's four scrum halves, all four of you play on the same day. Hopefully, one of you gets injured, <laughs> and then we can fly <laughs> both Dweber and Pollard in. No worries. Okay, yeah. hot question. Out of the four scrum halves, who you want getting injured? <laughs> no, that's not. <laughs> that, that, that's not an okay question. I don't want any of them to get injured. That's the point. I was happy with the squad the way it was. MD. Oh. Yeah, it's just, it's such a difficult one. Personally, I would go for Dweber. Just because I think the big thing is the bomb squad impact for me. The bomb squad will probably be the thing that wins us the World Cup. If you're going 6-2 split, you do not want... You, you want that replacement front row to come on for the replacement front row. You want to switch them out pretty much at the same time. Give one side 40, 50 minutes, one side 30, 40 minutes. That's it, done and dusted. But you can't... I Dion Free has not played a professional game of rugby at hooker since he played in France, which... I think might have been 2018. Dude, it's, it's mental. I mean, I, I fully agree with you. And that's obviously what we discussed in that. You know, it's just, I, I personally, I would go for Joseph Dweber. You know, call me a biased Stormers fan. But I think I think just he, he offers that specialty. You know, he's been playing there. And it's at the same time, I don't know, you, you, you look at a guy like Marnie Libok that was, you know, not necessarily struggling, but he was getting into his Springbok stride. And a... a forced injury on on Pollard forced him to now he has to step up against the All Blacks against all these great teams in the warm-up games you know and he, he performed he's shone you know yes there, there's a few kicks here and there whatever you know but the main thing is he stepped up as a as a general of the back line and he's absolutely creamed it now personally I think Joseph Dweber steps up. I think if he gets if he gets called in, I think he steps up. I think he, you know, he doesn't throw the ball skews so much, um, but I, I think he does. I think he's a, a dominant player. I think he um, sort of sniffs out that opportunity. He, he wasn't in, you know, the the match day setup. He was he was part of the guys that are on on call, and I think he smells that opportunity and he, he grabs it with both hands. I think the only thing that's given me some consolation is Dion Free has probably been training at hooker, as is Marco van Staden. If Dion Free goes down, they better 
calling Joseph Dweller because otherwise I I genuinely might have kittens. Dion Free has been training at Hooker during live sessions with the Springbok front row and the secondary Springbok front row, which arguably are the two best front rows in the world. So if that's the case, hopefully he's put enough mileage on during scrum time to come in. Because if you think about it, he just has to hold his own. And the, the, the two fatties next to him, as he likes to call them, when we interviewed him, will do the rest of the work. His line-out throwings also, or historically, was not that good during his time at the Stormers. So it'll be interesting to see how much he's worked on that. Listen, maybe Fuff's going to come in and start throwing into the line-out too. He seems to be able to do it all at the moment. So, Mate, we'll, I, 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 I honestly would not be surprised. I would not be surprised. But you know what? At the end of the day, we can all be couch coaches. We can all be couch referees. As a South African... It's always in Russie we trust. So they've got a game plan. They've got backups. They've probably thought about every single scenario that could have gone wrong and already sort of have an idea of what they're going to do in that. So Russie, we trust you. We, we trust the box are going to bring it home again. And uh, we, we have no doubts in the boys. No doubt whatsoever. Looking to this weekend, though, I'm hoping Dion Free comes on pretty much at halftime and that's them and and he gets a few scrums and, and we can see how he does practice the line out throwing there's no better team to do it against than romania in terms of and no disrespect to romania them being kind of one of the one of the less uh, the, the less threatening teams in our pool let's put it that way because we've now got this game and then we go straight into that game against ireland which is a, a bit do or die Having a look at that, they've put Grant Williams at 14. They've got Quivis Reinach at 9. They've then got Jaden Hendricks as the backup scrum half. And they've got Fafter Clark as the backup fly half. Fafter Clark as the backup fly half becomes almost obsolete when Andre Pollard, or if Andre Pollard comes back into the squad, because then you won't have him as the reserve fly half. You'd either have Andre as the reserve fly half playing that 23rd man role, or you'd have switch Marnie onto the, onto the bench. Any thoughts on the lineup for this weekend? Anybody that surprised you? If we're looking at it now, we've got Bongi and Bonambi starting and captaining. You've got Marco from starting at six, and you've got Dion Free on the bench. So all three of our hookers are there too. So we've got three hookers and four scrum halves in the match day 23, technically. Yeah, I think it's obviously a game that that it's it's trial and error sort of thing. You know, we're gonna we're gonna try some of these players and really test depth beyond having depth as in replacements. It's really testing the depth in terms of utility and, and how these guys, I mean, you know, you, you talk about a seven, one split and now you go fucking put four scrum offs in this match day lineup. It's like, mate, you can't script this shit. You can't script it, man. And it's, I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's so funny, but at the end of the day, like you say, it's like no disrespect whatsoever, but there there will be teams as in every single bloody sport, okay, which I don't know why everyone like tiptoes around the, but but no, no disrespect. It's like, no, what you're saying is pretty shit, to be fair. You're like, like you're saying the team's bad and it's an easy <laughs> win, you know what I mean? Like, and it's so funny because every single rugby pundit says the same thing. It's almost like, no offense, but you're pretty ugly, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, bro, just win. 
wear it on your sleeve, man. You're a developing nation in the terms of rugby. Like, it's fine, dude. You're at the World Cup. That is a win already. It doesn't matter. You're facing the defending champions, mate, with four scrum arms on the field, mate. Like, get over it. <laughs> but, oh, dude, I, I think I think it's going to be interesting. I think, obviously, hopefully, you know, there was a split second of me that was like... Japan oh, 2015. Remember Japan, mate. Like, imagine we lost to Romania, dude. No disrespect to Romania. <laughs> <laughs> but oh no dude it's 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 interesting it's going to be a good one good thing that it's obviously this game this week and yeah let's let's just hope that uh, everything sort of fits into place and everything for the island game and you know we can come out and smash island you know obviously my second team always but at the end of the day i want springboks to to end top of the top of the log and top of the pool and hopefully face the all blacks if that goes goes that way you know, would be would be pretty awesome, but yeah, just is what it is. Exciting times. It's it's always seems like even in the middle of the World Cup, Russie's experimenting and Jacques experimenting. Um, I'm gonna need a pacemaker after this World Cup. What these coaches have put us fans through, man. Jeez. Yeah, man, and I'm quite excited because you know what will happen. I'm gonna get so hyped by how well Andre Esse is and plays this weekend. Because I'm not being funny. He is going to absolutely destroy people in that midfield and all over the pitch. I reckon he's just going to go out there and he's just going to cause absolute chaos. Man, I, I will say, I will say, like, we, we really should, even with this team, because at the end of the day, Ireland pretty much fielded their their A squad. Even even with this team, we should really hammer them. But I will give I will give Romania this after the first weekend is they were physical as shit, man. They were very, very physical and they were, you know, 60, 70 points down and they still brought it, you know, at each, each um like contest, each tackle. Like they, they didn't stop. You know what I mean? So the, the only thing that worries me about Romania is Oaks getting injured. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But, All I want from this they game are physical, is- mate. A clean bill of health, and if anybody's going to get injured, please let it be one of the four scrum halves, right? Because <laughs> if it's Bongi... Hey, Bongi, you can't <laughs> say that and not answer the question, Scott. Which <laughs> one? <laughs> I don't... No, I'm not saying which one, right? Um, uh, they're all great. I, I love them. Once again, I was happy with the squad that we picked, but now I'm worried, uh, and that's just down to Malcolm Marx's injury. Picks of the weekend, Steegs. Your picks last weekend were all pretty much... On the money. Hey, Springboks versus Scotland was on the money, mate. It hey, was I, on the money. I heard it, this is not a sponsorship, obviously. <laughs> it's a pretty <laughs> fucking small podcast, but <laughs> I've downloaded Betway and I'm making my my multi bets this uh, this weekend, mate. I think I think I, I got quite a few right last week, so we'll we'll see what happens. Somebody's going to be selling their new car by the end of this week, I reckon. Multi-bet, multi-bet. I'm only putting 50 rand in, buddy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Looking at it, France, Uruguay? France, by a a shit ton. (laughs) New Zealand, Namibia? Oh, no offense, Namibia, but I'm gonna go New Zealand. <laughs> no, I'm joking. That that joke's gone on too long. No, I think yeah, obviously, same thing. New Zealand's needs to needs to get a bit of form going and and stuff. But yeah, they've, they've lost two in a row now. Um, so yeah, I think they're gonna want to really put a very convincing performance, you know, an, an island type performance. Samoa, Chile. 
you know, Chile, I was really, you know, I was, I was quite impressed at some parts in the beginning against Japan, but there's just certain things that they just weren't doing right and they weren't quite gelling there, you know. So I think, uh, obviously, obviously, Samoa. Man, I reckon Samoa might give them an absolute hiding. Yeah, yeah. I, I really I really did have, have a bit of hope in, in Chile, you know, like against Japan. Japan's not a shabby team. Yes, they haven't been in the greatest form, but they, they're not bad. And, and initially I thought, hey, we've got a bit of a game here. But, yeah, I think uh, after seeing the, the complete uh, game, I think Samoa, yeah, definitely at least by, by 25, 30 points. Mate. Have a, having I've just had a look at the um team for Samoa that has been named. They have got Michael Alato who plays for Leinster, Chris Vee, Theo McFarland who plays for Saracens, Stephen Luatua, who I believe used to be an all black. They've got Christian Lealiafano, who is an ex Wallaby. They've then got um Suteni, who plays in the centers for La Rochelle. And was one of the Heineken champions. They've actually got a pretty decent bench too, with Lima Sapuaga on there too. So I reckon Chile could be. And I, I'm, I might be wrong in saying that Samoa actually beat Japan recently. No, Samoa beat Tonga recently, and everybody's talking about Tonga, and nobody's talking about Samoa. So yeah, I reckon that could be quite a quite a good game. Wales Portugal. Surely Portugal. Yeah, I'm gonna go with Wales. You know, just just what my gut feels. <laughs> yeah, Wales for sure. Ireland Tonga. That the the ramifications of that game will be interesting for us. And I'm not talking about score. I'm more talking about how physical the Tongans are, whether or not the the Irish can have some some battered and bruised bodies come come next week. Whether whether or not uh, Johnny Sexton survives this game, we don't know. I feel like every single game he plays from now on, it's like, holy shit, he made it off the field. He's walking off the field. Can you believe it? You know, so I think obviously he's, he's I, I think it was um, hunting down the, the top points, uh, points scoring record in, in the World Cup. You know, it's like insane. Obviously, an absolute fantastic player. But yeah, I think, I think it's going to be quite interesting watching that, especially... Um, you know, after the Ireland game, if Tonga really, really bring it to to Ireland, it's ish, you know, it's it's one of those one of those games where if you go a bit half assed against the physical team, you're gonna you're gonna see some injuries. So let's hope the boys just keep going full tilt. But yeah, it's gonna be interesting. Ireland by thirty points. That, ooh, I don't know. I, I reckon close to twenty. But historically I've been so wrong, so that's probably hey, going to be 30. You've been so wrong, dude. <laughs> I just, yeah, I just, I just talk a bunch of shit. South Africa, Romania? South Africa by 100. No, <laughs> Mate, if you we got a full, full strength squad, I reckon yeah. we could, I reckon we could go three digits. Yeah, I think, I think we'll, I think we'll put, I think we'll put 70 on the board. I'm thinking 60. So we're, we're similar. 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 Possibly the most exciting game of the weekend or most closely contested, Australia-Fiji. You know, Fiji really disappointed me um, against Wales because they, they honestly had the ability to win that game. It was just discipline that completely let them down. And it's, like, I, it's I think so that, frustrating. There, there was a bit of that. that Fiji, if the, the game management had been better, the issue is... 
and this when Fiji beat England, the thing that they did, so they had Caleb Munts at 10, Caleb Munts then got injured. Caleb Munts was phenomenal at game management and not playing in his own half, pinning England on their side of the pitch and waiting for them to make mistakes. Fiji didn't do that against Wales. They tried to play from everywhere and it led to errors and it led to them losing. I reckon they go back and they look at that. They kick a bit more, run a little bit less. They they could have they could have done it, um, and that would have been them into the quarters, I reckon. But I'm going to say Australia by five. I don't know if it's going to be. I'd love Fiji to win. As a side note, I would I would love it. But now I'm a I'm a betting man, so I can't bet with my heart. I got to bet with my head. <laughs> and then the final game for the weekend, England Japan. Surely England, yeah. but I'd yeah, love Japan yeah. today. I think I think England obviously win. Um, yeah, just just the way the way they just took took again took control of that game, and you know didn't have many scoring opportunities. They couldn't quite get past past the Argentines, but man, how, how's George Ford made like just slotting drop goals out of nowhere? I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe yeah. it. And again, that's that's World Cup rugby, mate. Like if you. And that's what's worrying about. Like, it is a worrying aspect, you know. If our kickers aren't completely on point, you know, we're not asking for a hundred percent, but we're asking for enough and and in-game decisions that you know you get that scoreboard ticking. Because it was a close game, but all of a sudden you look and now Argentina's like three um three scores away. Yeah, this is the thing. I think scoreboard pressure is going to be very important and if you look at any team that's historically won the world cup they've had one of they've had two things they've had a really good dominant forward pack that they gave them good go forward ball and a good 10 who could either kick the points or send them to the right direction on the field we've got a good 10 we've got a good pack it's just that accuracy off the tee might come back to to bite us but storm a pod for life and we'll always we'll always back Marnie. 100 percent mate right well thanks for joining us for another episode of the saf pod i think i said this last week but it might be our best one yet hope you enjoyed it if you've not already then please head over to the socials give us a like or a follow we'll be back next week hopefully and respectfully after a hammering of uh, romania and to preview a big week of World Cup action, specifically that game against Ireland. No offence, of course. (laughs) 